0: Welcome back to Trust the Process Show. You are on episode 26. Uh, We have just passed the uh, quarter century mark here on Trust the Process Show, and today's guest is a great guest. I am joined today by uh, someone a little unorthodox than what I typically have here on Trust the Process Show, Uh, but by no means is he any less than... Uh, his story is actually quite remarkable. I'm being joined today by a gentleman uh, from Australia. His name is Mark O'Brien. Uh, Mark is a a gentleman who got caught smuggling a ton of hash in India. Uh, Mark got caught smuggling six kilos of hash each and uh, spent four years incarcerated in uh, an Indian jail. And I uh, wanted to have Mark on the show today because I think his story is, uh, is quite interesting. You know, he had to uh, go through quite a bit mentally to, uh, to get through the other side. And I think often we look at uh, these people on the show, we talk about athletes and people have done stuff physically and mentally. Uh, but Mark really went through uh, quite a bit here. And I wanted to give him a platform to uh, talk a bit about his story and also to promote his book. He's got a new book coming out, so make sure you check that out. It's on Amazon. Uh, The link is in the description of this episode. So before we get started and diving into Mark's story here on episode 26, uh, do me a favor. If you like what you hear on this uh, podcast, Trust the Process show, uh, you guys are my best marketing. So Tag me in it. Take a screenshot of this episode, whether you're listening to it on iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts. Uh, Tag me on social, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Share it with your friends. You don't have to tag me if you don't want to. Uh, And if you really love this show, which I hope you do, you know, we're back to episode 26, so you've joined me for the long haul here. Uh, Do me a favor, head over to iTunes, leave Trust the Process show a review. If you like it, leave me five stars. Um, Helping out with the reviews helps to show out more than you can probably appreciate. So um, with that support, uh, this show can continue to uh, bring forward content that's gonna help you trust your process into what your goals are. So without further ado, episode 26 on Trust the Process Show featuring Mark O'Brien. Welcome to Trust the Process Show. I'm your host, Chris Reed. On this episode today, I am being joined by Mark O'Brien. He is the author of um, Busted in India, A True Story on an Indian Hash Bust. Uh, i'm excited to uh, have mark on the on this show today his story uh has some very extreme lows and through that process some very enlightened powerful moments that's uh, really has changed uh the direction of his life so mark thank you for joining us today
1: Uh, thank you chris well nice to be here
0: yes thank you so much mark so mark um what i like to do at the very beginning of any show that i do with my guests is have them uh, give a bit of a, I, I did a bit of a high-level overview of who you are, but uh, that doesn't necessarily uh, define who Mark is. So maybe you could tell the audience a bit about who Mark is, and uh, we can kind of dive into your story.
1: Okay, well, um, uh, my story, that particular story starts around about uh, 1994, but prior to that I'd been been—I'd um, been a bit, bit of a hippie sort of uh, new age character, like um, meditating, doing Doing different sort of therapy groups, um, uh, partying a lot. Um, I was in Pune at the Osho Ashram, so we had a wild time, both inwards and outwards there, and um, and and it was very expansive and um, and and in a way, sort of I guess prone to risk taking because it was a bit um, it was a bit of a sport to me, like um, like the idea of um, smuggling smuggling hash across the border was, was more of a... <laughs> Sort of a sport thing rather than something I really, that was really something I wanted to do. And then, then ultimately, um, I'd set myself up on this, um uh, uh, on a wheel in a way that sort of once I got off, I once I got on, I, was, I found it very impossible to get off, which was, I, I, I had bought some, bought some hash to take to Europe with me. And then after six months, I didn't want it anymore, but it was, I was stuck, so. I had to deal with the cards that that I had, and and um, I'm, I made a few really stupid mistakes, and ended up spending you know, nearly four years in jail in in India.
0: Mm hmm. So, talk to me a bit about that story, Mark. So you you, you kind of started you started off, you know, you're a, a kind of hippie. So when is that era? Like, what is the uh, the time frame uh, where you are? Is that the '90s, I think, or is that the '80s?
1: No, I'm um, okay. Well. Well, to be honest, especially where where my life diverged a bit, in a sense, was I was I was at uni, I was studying physiotherapy, um, uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, and um, and towards the think eighty two, I am um, I saw a UFO one okay. night, and I was out, and I was, um, dry, driving in country Victoria, which is in the south of Australia, and um, and that kind of rocked my world. That sort of turned everything on its head, and um, and and my sisters who'd been in um, in India, where where this um, guru was, where Bhagwan, he was known as Bhagwan at the time, or became Osho later. Um, where he was there at the, at his ashram and sending me books and saying, "Oh, you should come, you should come." And and it was actually it was it was quite a it was certainly hugely attractive because he was a guy who seemed to be talking directly to me whenever I read something or, or heard a discourse or something like that. So I got very, very turned on by that, and the, and after the UFO thing, I sort of left my uni course and, and then sort of, kind of hit the hit the road with my backpack, really.
0: So, so with the UFO, um, it sounds like that really did affect something in you. So what, what caused that? Because it almost seems like you see this UFO and then. You go down this this new path so what did seeing that ufo do to you that made you want to go get enlightened from from
1: okay um well that's yeah good question the um um well the ufo was was so out of anything i knew was um was was obviously what ufos are it's like um you know having a kind of a close encounter thing and this this was this was a real close encounter of being being on a dark country road and all of a sudden a really bright white light appearing in the sky, like 50 to hundred meters above me and sort of illuminating my, illuminating me in the car. And you go, well, oh, what's all this about? What's, um, you know, what's, what's the nature of the universe? What's the nature of God? What's the nature of,
2: mm-hmm. is
1: there any point in, in doing, in doing this sort of stuff when actually you're out of control anyway? And, and, um, and who I, what's, what's, what's humanity about and what's, um, what's, um, What's what's the point of of, of uh, like slaving away at a job or you know when 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 there's this sort of s- superpower if you like that that can come and come and do whatever they want whenever they want to? I uh, know it, it just under, undermined my whole sort of if you like traditional belief in sort of in growing up in the West and the, the Western sort of ideal.
0: So yeah, I appreciate the clarification because I now I can really appreciate uh, where you came from is because. What it sounds like you were on that path to <clears throat> excuse me, where we typically go. You know, we have I think this, uh, we go to school where you know you're mentioning you're going for physiotherapy, uh, but then you see this and it has you question like, okay, what if, if what my beliefs are, maybe they not true, or is there something different or more out there? And then you see Bagwan. Now, is Bagwan that the guy I just want to clarify, is he the one that came over to the United States in Oregon? Is that is that his yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. That was a huge I, I was movement, there. right. Sorry. I said that that was a pretty big movement that that caught a lot of uh, attention.
1: Well, that was fabulous. I mean, the one thing I want to say also about the um, just about the UFO and somehow it brought up for me like that that you know I had I had a lot of lot of psychological issues. I was sort of I I needed needed to grow up. I kind of somehow slipped slipped through. I was twenty, but acting like a sixteen year old. Um, you know, I had sort of personal, personal, you know, traumas, traumas that I had to deal with somewhere. I was like, and so I was very much attracted to the therapeutic aspect of what was happening with, with, with this group of people. You know, there was, um, there was a lot of, lot of therapy groups. There was a lot of rawness and exposing, exposing people's angst and their trauma and, um, and that was that was just mind boggling to me. It just um, it opened up a whole whole new world where oh well maybe I can be I can be free of this stuff that I'm carrying around, you
0: know. Mm-hmm. So it was more and of the, a, a seek for release.
1: Um, yeah, just sort of just wanting to wanting to face up, wanting to okay. face up to uh, who I was, not sort of and you know somehow like if you're living your say let's say normal life without sort of putting anyone living a normal a normal life down. But but you also you don't really take the space to to deal with your with your shit really you know it's like um right. you know for, for example my mother died when I was young and there's sort of ramifications of that throughout my life and um and you know where you you know difficulty forming sort of solid relationships or you know where expectations are different all that sort of stuff where you, where where unless you kind of really deal with that stuff it, it, be, it sort of tends to control your life a lot more mm-hmm. than what you, what you'd like.
0: So before that, were you one that, and I think many people do this, but just for yourself, were you one that kind of held those emotions in and didn't really uh, action them, if you may, you just kind of stuffed them like I think society, especially then society was very much men don't talk about their feelings. So was that kind of where you were? Was it just that this was now a way for you to get rid of some of this, you know, like you said, some of this internal shit that's been probably brewing for years? and through these yeah. meditations and, and therapies was, a, like I said, a release to like kind of move forward.
1: Yeah, ex- ex- absolutely. I mean, there's, um, there's a meditation of, of Guanzo, or as I say, he became known as Osho later. Um, there's a meditation that he, he devised for, uh, to doing six o'clock in the morning, which is the most radical thing I've ever done in my life. And probably the most radical thing anyone ever does in their life. And, um, and, and that's, that's like, that's sort of build, building up the tension inside so it's like a powder keg and then you explode, but you, you know, just, just uh, allowing us, your, allowing yourself to just, just explode. And, mm. um, and that sort of, that certainly lifts, lifts the lid off. It sort of, un, it, it's um, unplugs the genie in a way and uncorks the genie and the genie's out after that.
2: <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: And really got to, I mean, it's all. It's, and you're not exploding at at someone physically. You kind of it's a safety thing. It's like it's respectful and stuff. But it, just to, you know, doing doing a lot of screaming and a lot of pounding of cushions and all that sort of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> you then moved to India in search for. Is this when you joined? Uh, this. Let's say join the group. Is this when you really started to practice? Uh, what? this group was doing was when you were in India or when did you start to practice some of these therapies and meditations, uh, in Australia prior to, uh, to going over there?
1: Um, no, there was was the, okay, a bit of a timeline. This is about the Osho thing Uh, around about 1980, 81. he, He, he was in Pune in India, but he left there to go to America to, to get some, um, get some medical treatment for his back. And, um, and, and once he left the ashram, everyone who was there went back to their own countries. And, um, and there was my, my sisters and a lot of other people came back to Melbourne where I was living at the time and then set up a, set up a sort of a therapy meditation center there. So then I started doing stuff there. Okay. And then, um, then probably after a year or so, when I went off to Rajneesh Purim in, in Oregon, what, what are you talking about before? I, I went there three or four times just for a short visit or so. And, um. And that, that, that was actually also mind-boggling. <laughs> that changed my life.
0: So you, you went to Oregon. Um, yeah. Now, I, I recently saw a documentary on this. I don't know if you've seen that one on, I believe it's on Netflix. Um, it Yeah. What was that like? Man, you, you, got a, you got some stories here, my friend. So what was that like going to Oregon? Because from what I saw there, and you're obviously boots on the ground, uh, it started off very peaceful, and it obviously didn't end that way. So, out of those three or four times you went, did the vibe of this ashram that came to Oregon did that change um, during your time there? With the different times you uh, you visited,
1: absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, I when I first, I mean, even the last time I went there, I mean, I prob- I went there four times. I mean, there was only. It's only in existence for four years, and um, and so I went there maybe four times each. Well, no, know must have been for five five years or five festivals there because I went four times I think each for the um, July festival. I mean, this was just this was just so fantastic. This this was this was paradise in a sense because you had this um, incredible incredible eco eco thing happening there where where they. They built built a built a dam and then sort of built dams all the way along the creeks, and, and you go each year you come back to this to this ranch of 80,000 acres, which which could only hold like 2,000 head of cattle prior to this, and um, and then you had the greenery climbing up the mountains and you had the the wildlife coming back and the deers and the um, and the well and and, <laughs> and the coyotes. I tell you a great story. There was they had a big chicken farm there. And the, the chicken chicken farm was a vegetarian place, but we could eat eggs. Uh, so they were producing all these eggs. There was a huge, huge chicken chicken run with you know chickens for you know four thousand people. And so anyway, they were losing all these chickens to, a coyote, to coyotes, and the, and they're going well, they, they didn't didn't want to um, shoot or poison the coyotes, so they just had to figure out how we're going to how are we going to deal with this. And, and then someone had the idea of getting a couple of Australian emus and making a run around the around the chicken run. And they never lost another chicken. You know, you can imagine the coyotes coming down and going and seeing these emus and going, mm. Fuck, those chickens, they're so fucking big. <laughs> Stay away from them, don't go there, those chickens are gonna kill you, you know, like yeah, you're, yeah. you know, imagine, imagine what was going on in Coyote Land and, and that was very very much about how they solved problems there. The um, the political aspect to it, I mean that um that was I mean, last last time or maybe two times started getting a bit weird because there are they had a, you know, a police force also that was you know, wearing, because we're all wearing red and malas, you know, the malas with the meaning there's a locket, uh, and a necklace with the locket with uh, um, Bagwan's photo on it. So wearing those colors and the police were all, all wearing those as well. And then they started carrying guns. Mm. And then um, then for the, because there was also threats. There was, um, you know, really quite realistic threats. There were There were local, Whenever Bhagwan used to go for a drive around the country every day, and the, and the people would, would be forcing him off the road and all this sort of stuff, and and um, and and there was you know there was, there was shirts sold with with um, bull, bullseyes with 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 his his face in the middle of a bullseye, you know, you could go and um, better better dead than red sort of stuff like this. So there was there was certainly a lot of hostility that had been built up and that was probably coming from both sides of, of the, of the fence. You know, the, the sannyasins could, could have done it better. The, um, the, the other people, the, 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 the farmers could have done it better. The, the city, the, um, the, this the, the, state sort of officials, you know, could have, could have followed the law much more. <laughs> and there was a, it was a whole sort of in a way a perfect storm. And, um, and then when, um, then when um and because uh, was also in inside to this point, and his only sort of contact with the world was really with with his secretary with sheila um the movies the movie that was you know um what is it um um uh, what's it called um uh, wild wild west was um that was that was good it was it was the it was the best sort of um movie i've seen that's that was made by someone who wasn't there but it was also never really told anyone why people were there I mean it's had it was political and it had a lot of time with Sheila who was who was a bit of a psychopath and and you know but he also I understood her a lot more from watching that movie and um, and yeah you had, you had people there a lot of people from all over the world really well-meaning like really sort of um, well I, I'm into this thing called green body green soul you know they they' Very green, huge sort of huge recycling things this was going on in the early eighties you the the um, you know the principles that that this place was built upon were were', were just really cutting edge even for today you know they they've built an airport and they're building um, um, you know winterized accommodation for four, thousand people, which is you know as 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 you'd know is pretty cold up in that part of the world. Yeah, it is. So and and really really hot summer. Yeah. Okay.
0: No, see, you mentioned you said something there, and I I wanted to just kind of circle back to it. Was uh, the movie didn't really represent why the people were there? Um, mm. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, I mean it didn't really touch on like um. You go okay, so all these people are there, and they look like they're having a good time, and and um, but what was the what was the reason why why they came was it was it because they 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 saw this guy as a god um and you know yeah you know, was was he some sort of god or what was he or was it was um he and what it was really about was this whole idea of um the new man the the you know, that the world was heading towards uh, towards an apocalypse which was like kind of environmentally and um I mean, his one of his things was how AIDS AIDS was was really dangerous, and was and he was first sort of first real kind of big attention that that AIDS got. You know, this was early, early, very early 80s, and with where, where we, you know, this is a, this is going to be a problem unless it's really addressed you know, in terms of you know, some sexual health sort of stuff, and. um so there was people wanting wanting to be part of this, wanting to be part of this experiment that was the new man, and, and being experiment meant there were no sort of fixed outcomes, there were no guarantees that anything was going to go, go on forever or this or so that. But um, but everyone felt really excited about being part of this, this experiment, and, and so really happy to work, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, and, and the people would people in Australia would pay, you know, would pay to go there to work. Like <laughs> those sort of hours for three, four months, and and come back really high and going, wow, that was so fantastic. Everyone loved loved being on this collective sort of thing. You know, everyone was also a bit a bit over their whole sort of you know individual, have their own house and the the what they call you know the nuclear family thing was like no one really wanted that. Everyone wanted something let's do it together. You know, and um, and that was that was incredible.
0: So really that community, um, why did, so I guess what was your reason, right? What was, I know you, you know, your sister introduced you to this, but that first time you came to the United States to Oregon, what were you in search for?
1: Um, um, uh, I wanted, um, I wanted to find my tribe. I mean, I think that was the whole, whole part of this was like the tribe find my community find the people yeah I think tribe is the best way to describe it um okay. I think um and and I did and I found my tribe and I found found my tribe be very confronting and I found my tribe to be um be really funny and and tough and all that sort of stuff but it was um but I, I didn't want to be anywhere else
0: okay so so you go there you find your tribe so then at what point now do you decide to put some some boots on the ground in in india uh, and i guess maybe make some roots because you were there for some time at what point did when did that decision come in where you're like you know what i'm gonna go spend time there is it when you realize that these folks this way of being is your tribe is your community like how did that play out
1: okay well after after the um, after. So sort of all the shit went down and uh Rajnish Purim and Bhagwan left. Then he was travelling around the world for a while. And then he went back to the to the to the ashram in India. And so probably about a year after he arrived back there was was, you know, because um, just in the in the meantime, basically everyone I knew, like kind of because I was I was living living in Sydney at the time, and then I later moved up to Byron Bay. I mean, everyone I knew and everyone I hung out with were also like kind of what we call sannyasins we're also like people in exactly the same position as me and um and so we sort of we it was a collective sort of feeling of like oh well um Osho, Osho's oh, but she was still one at that point he's gone back to Pune it's I mean people would hear though what's happening what's going on and, and you know, then there was it just a general movement people going yes I want to be there for that and be there listening to him talk in the mornings and at night time and also being in India because it's also a lot cheaper it's actually like don't have to work and all that sort of stuff it was um so I did did like um maybe three three stints or six months each i'd go there for for the winters for the summer season or winter australian winter uh, australian summer but indian winter which which meant it was it was actually the temperature was bearable so so it was, it was actually you'd have i don't know you probably have 5000 people turning up turning up at um each winter and and you know having having you know like lots of parties but also like kind of being doing lots lots of therapy groups, lots of, lots of meditations. I mean, I ended up playing, um, they had a couple of tennis courts there that I was, I was playing tennis and, and also giving tennis lessons and stuff. Hmm. Um, it was, um, as, it was a very, um, very, very broad thing about what your experience could be and that whatever your experience was, was entirely appropriate. You know, it's like, you might go there and you might, I mean, some people did. You you might you might be just be stoned for the for the time you're there, or or you might just be having sex for the time you're there, or or you might be very very devoted and you know very very holy and you know just going to meditate all day long, or, or you could be. There was so, so many possibilities, or endless possibilities of like kind of uh, who you were, and it was all about finding your own truth and about finding finding out who you were or who you are.
0: Yeah, I, I mean. As you talk about that, I think there's this real uh, sexiness about, about what you're saying. And it's, I think what I'm getting from it is you and, and everyone that you're with, your tribe, as you call them, uh, this real sense of being present into the, the very moment. Is that a good way to really kind of recap? It's just like It sounds like this consistent presence
1: yeah I mean I would say that and i i like like your thing how how you described the sexy because it was super sexy like it was um that that was the um just on a on a life level on a sexy level um and and also yes it was it was everyone doing doing their best best to stay present to to not be concerned about the here and the future be be just here and now, just be just be meditative, to be going, okay, this, this is, this is just now, this is now, this is now. So be getting reminded of that all the time. I mean, I mean, um, I mean, I was, I was also like, I mean, I took it a bit the other the extreme and I sort of, I'm sort of misunderstood the message a little bit too, because, um, whenever I think about my, my financial things, I go, I oh, don't think about the future. Don't stay here, stay, stay right now. Well, but of course, of course, financials need a bit bit more planning and a bit more structure than that. So, well, this so, is where, so then this I- where
0: my head goes, Mark, sorry to interrupt is um, as we're talking about the presence, like being present in the moment, I was going to ask you, and I think you kind of went on that path was there's a difference between being present and being careless. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying here is you kind of went over almost that present of just it became careless. Like money started going down, um, obviously there was a few decisions that you would wish you probably could take back. Um, what is that kind of a good way to describe that? Or how would you describe? Cause there, I, that's where my head goes is who, who goes too far and what is too far get you? And I think you're obviously a story, your story tells it went too far. So talk me through that balance of where maybe you went off the rails. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never been particularly good at sort of paying
1: attention to to my bank account, and um, <laughs> I mean, this particular time, I had had money for, money for the season, and I'd I'd also and I'd also done you know done something I'd invested I'd invested in this in this um, six six kilo of hash up in um, up in Manali, and, and <laughs> which was oh I, I've made an investment though, <laughs> which wasn't really the the kind of
0: and how much um, was 6 kilos of hash? Um
1: probably that time, um I think I say 6,000 6, Canadian, 6,000 Australian, Jeez. something
0: like that. And so you had that so type felt, of money on you down there at that time?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um so I mean I think so I think that's I think that's what I paid. I mean it might have been less but um but um I mean, a lot no, of money. Yeah, well it's, it was it was significant and um and uh, and I um, and I'd made made assumptions, thinking, okay, I'd I'd be able to get my money, because they get my money or some of the money back that I, that I'd spent, I'd be able to get it back from this from this guy, because um, once I went up to pick it up, or went up when that that situation had to be dealt with, then I I had I'd really decided that I didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. I might mean, not had a you know, six months of pretty much solid therapy and meditating in Pune, and actually I'd, the idea of sort of smuggling smuggling hashish into Amsterdam didn't appeal to me anymore. So, but I was stuck with it, and I didn't I didn't have didn't have any any money, and and yes, I careless is sort of is one way to describe me, just probably not being that responsible to myself yeah. in a sense, not being responsible to taking care of myself in a way.
0: Well, what you know, I, mean, um, I want to ask you is. So one, I do hear some responsibility and tell me if I'm I'm hearing this differently, but you, you mentioned I need to invest my money. So if you're looking to invest your money, there is some sort of responsibility of you knowing that I need to be able to make money a little bit more. So th- there's that side, but mm-hmm. what what makes you go, I'm going to invest my money in six kilos of hash to, to smuggle. Was there no other options to invest money or was it influenced by by people? Tell me a little bit about that decision because I, I feel like you mentioned earlier too, you made money by doing tennis lessons. So I know there was some, some legal ways, but what made you, gave you this idea of just let's smuggle hash to Amsterdam um, and we'll buy six kilos of it?
1: Okay. Well, I think actually what I wanted to do is I wanted to I wanted to buy a block of land back here in Australia, and okay. I figured that I need, I needed um, needed uh, fifty thousand dollars to make that happen. And okay. so so then so that was that was where the sort of the numbers came up, which was like, okay, I thought I okay, well, I buy this kilo, take it to Amsterdam, then I can I can make um, I can walk away with 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 fifty thousand dollars
0: gotcha okay so, that, so there there was a goal that, at the end that that 50k uh and this was the yep. easiest way in your eyes to get you there the quickest correct
1: yeah yeah. because i mean i'd 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 work but i had i never really worked at, at um i mean i'd never done the career i mean i left left physiotherapy i, I didn't really have a career after that or was sort of thinking about a career of actually you know what's what's an what's an intelligent way to make money that that i never really did that you know and i mm-hmm. i mean I mean, I haven't haven't ever really worked for anybody else. I've I've done work work for myself. I've published magazines. I've published published different things, but um, but I've never never actually worked for somebody. I mean, I I think um, I had a six week job worked for someone in about 1990, and uh, and that's it.
0: <laughs> okay, so, so we're running on a so the resume wasn't necessarily um in line for you to find a, a white collared career here is that what you're telling me
1: <laughs> i know no it's like that's a bit it's bit funny here because I'm, I'm just about to turn 60 and i go well what what's, what's what? i mean i, I just said we can't get a job and i said well i don't have a resume yet. actually <laughs> i mean I've, I've, I've as i said i mean i had years of publishing magazines and 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 writing for the magazines and all this sort of stuff, and and also doing some you know paint, house painting or like kind of doing some build construction work or or different. I'd always be doing things. It'd always be some sort of job happening, but but never actually one that you know that that um was going going to go on for more than a month. You know, like where right. where we had to rock up at eight o'clock in the morning and you knock off at four o'clock in the afternoon. I've, I've never done that.
0: Okay. Just a lot of of odd jobs handyman type stuff just wherever it sounds like you were by being present you you found ways to survive um and it doesn't, doesn't sound like the the way you all were living and yourself especially but it wasn't a very expensive way of living you were some you know like you said Living very eco-friendly, off the land, probably not spending a lot, so not needing a lot, um, but in that same time, probably not saving a lot. Therefore, looking to find a way to make fifty thousand dollars to buy some land back home.
1: Yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was um, sufficiently out of out of the economy to to kind of not have that many options inside it. You know, if, if you like, um, so so that was, I guess that was set in place by, by, by not having a, of a, having a, having an occupation per se, like a, that, that I, that I was into doing and I could do, I would be happy to do that every day for the next so many years. I didn't have that. So my options actually about pulling together a, a chunk of money were, were a bit limited. Mm-hmm. And,
2: okay.
1: um, and, 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 I was, and, and also like, I didn't, I didn't actually see anything wrong with, with, um, with, with hashish actually, you know, I still don't see anything wrong with it. And, um, and but but the reality is for me was the the reason I, I did it did it was because there's money in it and there's any money in it because it was illegal, right? You know, so 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 there there I I haven't got that thing. Oh gee, it should have been legal, but no, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been able to make money if it had been legal. So so I I I don't don't have that sort of you know like oh gee I'm a victim here of some really bad drug laws or something.
0: Right. Well, and tell me how good is the hashish in in India?
1: Ah, oh, it's very. I mean, if you're a pot smoker.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm in Canada.
1: Okay, so um, yeah. Um, well, you, you get well. There's in hash in India, you get this um, what they call charis, actually, which is um, which is uh, um. Okay, there's two things. There's hashish and charis. And charis is made from rubbing your hand on a living plant and actually and getting the resin on your fingers, and then rubbing that into balls. You know, like they'll, they'll they'll rub rub the heads, and then they'll get get sort of this black resin. Okay. And, and so, so, so that's that's called charis, Whereas whereas hashish, which is you know what they you know say in Afghanistan or Morocco or somewhere like this, this this is made from um, shaking the dead plant, holding it upside down, and what falls down on the ground or on, on the blanket is is the pollen, and then you rub that together, and then you get the hashish. So it's it's quite it's it's a same plant, but quite a different thing. I love hashish. I love <laughs> I love Jared's band, and that and and that said, I I don't sm- I, My normal rhythm, like what I say, got to in in jail, for example, which is where everyone was smoking all day long. Which was like I'd smoke like once a week, maybe once every ten days, something like that. It was anything more, anything more, and and it, and it just wasn't good for me. So so it's in me. It's always been a been a moderation thing anyway, and because. Yes. Um, when, when i have have gone every day i'll just i just lose the thought and, and kind of get get too spaced out
0: right cool so you buy six kilos of uh, this is cherished that's what you bought six kilos of, or yeah. was it okay so you buy six yeah. kilos of cherish. um i believe the next step in the story is you look to then sell it back to the gentleman you bought it from correct yeah mm-hmm. okay and so yeah, what I happens up, there
1: uh, well i went up to um um, I'd been in Pune, um, which is on the on the west coast of India, not the coast, but it's sort of maybe hundred hundred k's from the coast, sort of south of Bombay or Mumbai. And I'd been, um, and my visa was running out, so and I had to go to Manali, which was up on the north northeast of India, you know, quite a long way away. And so I thought, okay, I and my visa was about to expire, so me and my me and my friend we decided we would ride our motorbikes to to Nepal. Um, we knew our visas there, and then, then go up to Manali, and, and which was quite an adventure. So anyway, we we put our because we put our bikes on the train for 24 hours, um, put ourselves in our bikes on the train, went sort of near 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 um uh, place called Jansi, which was on on the way, which is uh, near this uh, Kajarahu. I don't know if you know Kajarahu where all the um, where all these um, amazing tantra um, um big big um uh big big tant- um big t- t- tantra temples no okay. um, they're, they're incredible it's so like kind of they're they're sort of a thousand thousand fifteen hundred years old and there's um there's a photo of them actually in, in my book and i mean they're just mind-boggling that's sort of it's the every everything on the outside of these temples is is is, is just freezes and statues of, of sex in all all kinds of all kinds of imaginal positions. So Wow. So anyway, so that that was quite amazing. And then we went to Nepal and had maybe two weeks there. Uh, had an amazing time and then then rode my bike up to Manali. Now on the way up to Manali I had a had a motorbike crash where I where I head butted a bus. So I was I think I must have gone to sleep and um and, and I head uh, so headbutted the bus at eighty Ks an hour and, and uh, I, I came off second best. And um and where and so I, I got a got a concussion from this and um I was um I was uh, yeah well eighty K hitting a bus and I mean, that's, I, we, I That's didn't go pretty
0: fast bus. man. That's I mean that's I'm surprised you're still alive, to be honest. That's that's well, a f-
1: Yeah, well well, the, the people they, who is, is, were who, who there just at, because this was at a sm- small village in, in, on, the, on the highway, people were there. I said it was just amazing. They just, just you know, sitting there and all of a sudden they could see me coming. <laughs> like, like where I'd, where I'd, I'd, I still have gotten zero memory of that sort of impact moment or immediately before that. So I'm thinking I was fast asleep. So, so luckily for me, I didn't go over the handlebars. Me and me and the bike bounced back. I bounced about 15 meters. The bike maybe 10. And um, and then I woke up. I came to. I was knocked out. I came to, and, and there were all these sick faces looking down at me. And I realised, oh shit! I've had a crash. Maybe you know, uh, the, the last resort. Closed my eyes and hope it didn't happen. and Open them again, but no, they were still there. I'd started the crash. <laughs> oh, no. So so they took me took me in hospital where I got patched up over. After about an hour, it took about an hour then come back to the bike i was i was too sort of too kind of spacey to deal with the bike so i, I s- stayed there that night and um, then took the bike the next day and spent you know 50 or, 50 or sixty dollars on on fixing that and and um and then i rode off but i was um i was a bit um my thought processes and my i was i yeah, i had a concussion for sure and i i just wasn't um was, wasn't wasn't where i needed to be to be be doing what i was what i was trying to do
0: so so what's what's then happened so you're you, okay. get, you so, get this you get this accident you're obviously concussed probably more than you even think you are and then yeah. that's when you go to the guy you bought the kilos a ha- ha- or charis from yeah. And then yeah. what you tried to maybe pitch him and say, hey, you know what, can, can I get some of my money back? Can you buy some of this back? Or um, and that yeah. was just turned down by him. Yeah, were,
1: that, that was basically it. it was um, as I said, up, you know, I come. I, I don't I don't want to deal with this anymore. It's um, six kilos. Um, um, would you be up for? I mean, I said, would you up to giving my money back, or at least half of my money back? And and he was like, uh, and he didn't want to do it because there was also. It was also harvest time. It was in May. It was when all all the all the next next season of, of charis was was coming online. So we had a we had a big supply of it. And it was um didn't didn't want to do it. Okay. And, and um and that so that was a bit bit sort of I was, I was thrown thrown by that because I'd expected to get at least something. And I had a few few friends who were staying up in that area at the time who were meditating with this um with, with another guru. And so I, I went over there a few times, and, and this guru was saying, oh, you know, you should stay here. And I'm saying, no, I've got to go to Europe. He said, no, stay here, stay here. You're not going to Europe. I can see it. You're not going to Europe. <laughs> I'm going, nah, nah, I'm going to go to Europe. Nah. <laughs> I, it, it, it ignore, I can ignore everything anyone says to me. And So then I, I was able to borrow some money and somehow get get um, um, get um on a – um and, and, go back to Pune with, with all this, this charis, you know, on the off chance that, well, I had to deal with it. And one of one way of dealing, it was, was taking with me to where I wanted to go, which was Pune. I had almost all my things there. And so, so I get back there after two or three days of traveling, get, get back, to, get back to Pune which is on the other side of the country. And, and, and it's low season. There's no one there who wants, wants, wants to, wants to buy, buy my, buy my charis. And I'm, so I'm getting a bit desperate and borrowing some more money, and um, and then I hatch upon a scheme to um, to um, um, to go uh, send send the send the charis send most of the charis back to um, back to Delhi um, to this B and B place I stayed at. where I could put in a suitcase and they would they would. Now they were that they this was the the guy from the the guy from Manali. His it was his connection that he had this air had this I keep calling it Airbnb, but that's a long time before hmm. Airbnb B and B. Um, and so he had he had he was he was storing things there, and like there were, many of their customers were, they had suitcases and stuff. So so anyhow, so I I was just to send send my send my bag there. They put it in storage, and then I had another. 300 gram that I left out that I would, I would then sort of swallow, swallow, swallow that would give me, I'd go take that back to Australia with me and, um, and I'd then be able to at least sort of have some landing money and maybe, maybe have enough for, for airfare at a later date to come by Delhi and then, then, then go to Amsterdam with, the, with if my, pro, if I wanted to do that again, right. convoluted and, and, and again, a big reflection of my mental state at the time. I, I was just, um, not um, not thinking particularly clearly or rationally about about, about my situation. I was uh, under a bit too much financial pressure.
0: Yeah, and I mean finances can do that, right? Finance, like money stress, causes people to do some pretty uh, irregular things. Um, so it sounds like that uh, did it to you. So so you send it off, right? And I think what I what I understand in the story next is. You put your name and address on the. Uh,
2: <laughs> is, is,
0: did I did I did I hear that part of the story right?
1: Oh gee, did I do that? Oh, oh yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, it, well, of course. I mean, when you go to go to a courier company, you know. Um, they all, all want ID. They want to see passport holders, see some some ID. So in a way, giving them my name was was a bit like, well, I didn't have a lot of choice in because they, they, no one was going to accept it. And and most of the companies they wanted to open, wanted wanted me to open my bag and show them what was inside. And what I didn't realise at the time, because nothing like that would ever happen in Australia if you sent, sent something by courier um, at that time. And. Um, the, because India had, had a lot of terrorism, domestic terrorism, then they were they were worried about bombs. So they were worried about people sending bombs. So so all these courier companies wanted to see was in it, and then finally I find one that that did not want to have a look inside. I mean that's sort of that's a, a huge red flag anyway. It's like kind of, hello, can, can you can you take my bag, but you can't look inside.
2: <laughs>
1: I mean I was, I was in such such a, yeah. I don't know. I mean. You know, about a year before this, about a year before this happened, was um, I, I did a did a did a sort of you know, sort of therapy alternative alternative sort of um, um, you know, workshop called Avatar. And Avatar is all about creating your own reality and you know doing all this sort of stuff. And and um, and then at the end of this process, you have to do um, you have to say, okay, what what you want to create? And I said, I just want to retreat. I, I want to retreat from 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 work dramas, I want to retreat from being having to make money. I I want to. You know, I'm, I'm sick of dealing with girlfriends. I'm sick of sick of this whole sort of. I wanted to get off the roundabout. I mean, um, and I was, and and all I can think of is this whole um. And but I, I wanted a tennis court and all this. Right, I I have to really clear about what I what I wanted. Was, okay, because I in the group say you have to be very specific about what you want. So anyway, I wanted a tennis court and I'm. And then that was what I ended up getting in jail. Except I didn't get the tennis court to the volleyball court. And um, and I think you know, looking back on this was my whole sort of previous uh, month or two months were all sort of leading up to this thing of saying I need a break. I, I need need a need a break from this life because it was um, it was it was exhausting. I was much too stressed. And um, I mean I was having a good time, but there was an un- underlying stress and and um, and freak out there for me as well.
0: So am I hearing this correct? I just want to make sure I am. So I'm a big believer in this when you talk when you tell the universe what it is you want, the universe mm-hmm. often responds. So what I heard is after this avatar workshop and you wanting to take an end, like stopping from everything, right? You need to be taken yeah. out of life and put into something different. Was the universe responding back to you, Mark, by saying, "Hey, I'll, I'll I'll follow through with your ask, but I'm going to put you through something extremely difficult in order for you to find what it is that you're looking for"? Is that is that your thoughts on all of this?
1: Um, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, um, I mean, there's certainly something, you know, I there was this, there's some upsides actually in the whole whole jail story, and one of which was um. One of which was completely um, shocking and initially was when was when I was first first arrested and then I then I found out the next day that my the the had contacted my father and my family knew and, and it was like and I was so ashamed and it was like my pants were were around my ankles for the whole world to see and I couldn't do anything about it, it was all of a sudden this this sort of lies that i that I'd been telling and all this sort of stuff about who I was, how I was making money, and all this sort of stuff, were all actually sort of been lifted off me in a sense. It was like, wow, all that's all that's gone, all that um, all that's exposed, and, you, and and that's also a huge amount of shame for me at that time. of like, um, you know, like what have I done with my life that I'm actually doing this? Yes, okay, acknowledging on one side that that actually I really wanted to break. But um, but on the other side of like kind of you know making someone else do it for me in a sense, you know, it's um, it's a little, little bit like the guy wants a suicide, and rather than jumping off a bridge, you'll you'll, you'll you'll drive on the wrong side of the road or something, you know, in, in involving other people in in your mess sort of thing. Um, you know the um, and um, but I, but what I did appreciate with this, I actually, I mean, I'm the youngest of nine kids. And it was um, it was, and it was something about being being on center stage that I loved. That this mm-hmm. center stage with the focus of all this attention. I mean, I was getting, I was getting. I probably um, um, right, I had sort of a correspondence with maybe you know eighty to hundred people. Like so, sometimes I'd be getting four, five, six letters a day. I mean, this was you know balanced out over the four years I was there. So so I was. And, I, and what happened for me also was I was relating to people in a far deeper, far, far um, m- more real way than I ever had before. You know, where I mean, people been friends, but hadn't really shared that much of who I was or what was going on. And all of a sudden, I'm in this place where actually, well, that's all I can do is actually share, share what's happening, share, share how I'm feeling, like kind of maybe ups and downs and all this sort of stuff. It was um, was yeah, it was um, it was quite a gift in that sense mm-hmm. oddly enough it was um, was always you know, like and and being in a situation where we had nothing to hide because everything was was actually out front, front now, which was quite quite neat for me
0: so wow that's that's pretty powerful stuff right there mark um and what what I'm hearing is it sounds like at that time you allowed yourself to be vulnerable, like just almost naked vulnerable to the world with your emotions and, and who you are versus these lies that just buried you. Um, Now, do you think those lies had like, were you, did you, let me just kind of backtrack before all of this was lying something that you did on the regular
1: Oh yeah, well I I, I mean um, I mean sometimes I mean I mean I'm not I wouldn't put myself in like you see on movies you see like some pathological sort of liar who can't can't tell that can't say anything straight to anyone. It wasn't exactly like that, but I was certainly really good at, at hiding whatever whatever if I had anything difficult going on, you know, if I okay. didn't I had some anger issues that I wasn't dealing with, or I was sort of or I was feeling pain that I didn't want to deal with, or I was uh, um, you know, I was just sort of hiding somewhere. I mean one of the things that I a big thing that I came up with um was was I think that men need to get busted. Hmm. Tell
0: me and, more about that. And,
1: okay, yeah, so so women have have like um, existential things that happen in their lives. Like a, a woman will, will will have a period, and there's nothing she can do about it. It's Actually, it happens every month, and it's like, and and there's 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 a whole range of things that come along with that. And there's also you know getting pregnant or something, and a woman can get pregnant, and there's no she has to deal with that. There's whether she says yes to it or whether she says no to it. it's an existential thing that's right in her face that doesn't leave her face that she has to deal with. Men don't have this. We can always talk our way out of stuff. We can always, always um, say, "Oh, that's that's. I don't don't want to be a dad, or you know, it's like um, actually, uh, I don't like it that much anyway, or or let's have an abortion, or you can have the kid, but I don't want to have anything to do with it, or all this sort of stuff where we we don't have to make this. We're not confronted with existential things that because we can we can just leave. We can walk away. Mm-hmm. Whereas a woman can't, and that's that's kind of. And you see that a lot in the third world, where the where the men men are just sort of lying around doing nothing all day, but the women are taking care, you know, the women making the money, women looking after the household, women do, doing everything. And um and there's something I I felt like kind of that getting busted for a man and that may not be may not be um, um, a legal thing like what I experienced, but you know it could be house burned down or or your business goes bankrupt or or something something dramatic happens that actually you can't do anything about that turns your life upside down Mm. now I I think um, now from my experiences, actually I find that's incredible value valuable it's really difficult you know for me my story was about as mentioned before about having the feeling of, of my pants being around my ankles and and they're almost locked around my ankles and my ass is sort of created to the world, you know, and there's nothing I can do about it. So there's, there was, you know, since there was nothing, nothing left to lie about, it. you know, that, that, um, that was, um, no, I'm not doing good. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm having a difficult time. Oh well, yes, I am doing good. Actually, I'm doing really good. I might be in prison, but I'm doing really good right now.
2: Um, right.
1: and, um, you know, where it's, it's not really about where you are. I mean, you've got to be somewhere. You know, it's it's not as though it's not as though you um you know you're to go into jail and then then all of a sudden five years later you come out and there's nothing that happens in between, you know it's like you are you're still there in in prison you're still there and in, in, in your disgusting situations or your better situations or you're in your hope in your dreams you you're still there you know.
0: Yeah, I think.
1: You you, you understand that? Thing? I, 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 think, I I I
0: completely understand what you're saying. It's. Um, when you're in a position like that for yourself getting busted, there's no what I hear is you can't lie and say everything is good. It sounds like you had this thing, and I think a lot of men do, especially that's why I think you said it. Is I, I mentioned earlier, is men, especially I think back in your era when this happened, but even still to this day. Is men don't know how to talk about their feelings and how they're mm-hmm. doing. So we, what we'll call in your situation, lie. But it's more or less nothing lying. It's just not saying what's happening. Uh, so we create this. Uh, everything's fine. Everything's great. If I if I say that life is tough, that makes me look weak, and I'm a man, and I can't be weak. And we create this this story in our head uh, as men. What you're saying. Um, but you being in this situation that was over, you couldn't say, Hey, mom and dad, I'm great. I'm in an Indian jail getting caught with six kilos of hash and I'm not going to be coming home for a while. So it made you yeah. put yourself in a position of like, what if I just was real with myself and owned every day? If today was a good day, own it. It's a good day today. If today's a shitty day, today's a shitty day. Uh, but owning it. Yeah. Is that is that kind of what you're saying here to me, Mark?
1: Yeah, I mean um and, and mostly it's like yes I that's pretty much what I'm saying and also once you what I saw is once you sort of see once you acknowledge that oh you as in your words, own own that today's a shitty day, then all of a sudden it's not so shitty anymore. Right. You know, it's like there's um it's it's if there's there's a there's part of the shittiness is having having to having to divulge that it's shitty, you know, that it's part of part of the shittiness is to is to did declare to the world. Now I'm, I'm not on top of my game. I'm actually messed up. My thing was sort of exacerbated a bit because I didn't didn't have any money. So then my father was also paying paying for paying for a lawyers. He was he was he was paying paying for my spending money. He was um, paying paying the expenses. Um, what happened was um, was a um, um, cause of course because of course when I got, got busted there were some. It, People of the family were talking about coming over to India and they're you know, like sort of trying to trying to get me out and all that sort of stuff and 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 I was talking with my friend and um, and he said why don't I stay in Pune your your father pay my expenses he, he will, he'll stay there and look after me we were thinking it was going to be two or three months why don't why doesn't he why don't we do it like this where um, I'm, I'm the, I'm the liaison. I'm the person that's, that's here on the ground looking after you. And, and if your family doesn't need to take time off work, they don't need to do all this sort of stuff. And, um, and that, that was great. And that end up sort of end up staying two years. Holy. While, while, yeah. Cause, um, cause when, for the first, it took two years for me to get convicted. And in that two years, I'm in, I'm in a sort of remand section within the jail, which is sort of better conditions than elsewhere. Um, but um, I always thought that I was going to be out in um, in maybe three or four weeks because my lawyers were saying, "I oh, next week something's going to happen and then then the case is going to start and then it'll be over really fast." But the um, actual trial ran for ran for nearly eleven months. The trial did. Um, yeah, it's like you know, wow. you you'd go into court and and the the judge wasn't there. You'd go into court and the, and the police couldn't make it and you go into court and they. And the, 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 witness who was meant to be cross-examined that dad didn't turn up and have all this, you know, so I was living in living in this sort of hope um, for a long time. And it was amazing to see how exhausting that was, um, you know, to, 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 how exhausting was to have, have hope rather than rather than surrendering to the fact that you're convicted in was after I got convicted when I, mean, I got convicted to 10 years, and that was like really, really horrible. Um, but there was there was a certain sort of relaxation that happened after that. I mean, I was also also then wanting because I I shouldn't have been convicted because there was you know, some sort of technicalities of the case. But there was um, but um, and so I was I, I was clearly I'd, I'd get out on appeal, and even the judge who convicted me said, oh, you'll, you'll get out, on appeal, but actually something happened here that wasn't quite right, so I'm I'm going to sentence you to ten years." Which is the minimum. And um and when you're living in hope it's 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 totally exhausting, because you know, you're you going, ice, oh, maybe something's gonna to happen today and you get yourself all fired up and you go off the call and nothing happens and then like, and then you crash and i how how this would manifest for me, I'd i get colds. So I would get colds all, all the time, like kind of just when so, something big was gonna happen or all, all of a sudden all mine, my nose would start running and I start sort of sneezing and coughing and Doing this whole sort of miserable thing, and then then I'd build up again for the next next sort of hope and next, the next hope, the next hope, and and living in hope was just a killer. And finally, when um, and um, while I was under trial, this sort of thing was like okay, in like I said, I'd, I was thinking I'd be out in three four weeks. And once I got convicted, I was the lawyers are saying oh, you'll be out in three four months. So so that gave me a bit more a bit more breathing space about. And my expectations sort of level dropped, so i I was able to be a lot more present after after I got convicted in a sense. Mm. So I, I was i wasn't wasn't actually thinking or hoping i didn't have any realistic hope of actually getting out of here tomorrow. I had to sort of be much had to live there rather than rather than sort of spend my day sort of you know, with my head buried in a book or in, in some sort of or getting stoned all day or something like this was um, I had to sort of actually make a life. Um,
0: so living, uh, that's, there's a huge lesson I think that you just talked right there, Mark, is living in hope versus mm. going back to what you said earlier, I think, and what we kind of both said in a sense was just versus owning it, owning that you are mm. convicted and just that mm. is, it's always going back to that truth, right? Is the truth is, I broke the law, I'm convicted, I don't have to live in this hope. So just kind of going back to that present piece, um, sounds like the energy level, even when you talked about it, your energy level kind of came down a bit of this, more of just, it is what it is, how can I spend my day? Um, yeah. What really got you through then? Because I think what it sounds like is the very beginning of that hanging on to hope was absolutely exhausting owning it and then what else kind of got you through that that process uh once you decided you're going to own the situation what gave you was there something that gave you purpose um what became your being um after that moment
1: um well once i got convicted there was um, not so long after then they they initiated a, a Vipassana program in the prison. There was, um, there's a, there's a um, Burmese guy called Goenka, who, who started off this sort of international Vipassana program where they're taken into prisons all over the world. And, um, so they started doing Vipassana in, in the jail. And I, I mean, you'd, you'd have a 10 day retreat or a four day retreat and and you're in silence and, and, and meditating all day. And, and while I found that tough was, was, um, was it gave me also a lot more space in, in, in between me and me and the the kind of i feel like it, between my my free self and my and my unfree self in a sense it was like um okay there's um where um so it just gave me gave me a bit of distance and and then i i got into what was probably a big lifesaver for me was there was a Vipassana compound that was set up. There was, okay, this is where the comp- many compounds in the jail, and this particular compound was where, where the, the Vipassana was going to be held. So I, I got permission to make a garden in there. And included in this was, um, um, I made this quite a big garden with underground watering systems. It was for sort the of scavengers. I mean, if you can imagine sort of all the things that you make a garden that you need to scavenge from an Indian prison there's there's not a lot there but but I did did find enough enough stuff to make this little garden gorgeous and included in this was like I made a little little seat seat for the for the for the teacher for the you know, underneath the Pani tree and it was and it was just gorgeous. It was just beautiful. And that was, um, and every day I'd wake up and I'd go, yes, this is really what I, I love to do. This is fantastic. And I'm going to go and get some get some mango trees from over there and we're going to put them here and I'm going to get these other trees from there and I'm going to build this underground watering system and do all this sort of stuff. And I just had a ball. I had such, such a ball. And then one day, the Parsons Centre was closed down. And um, and so I wasn't, wasn't allowed to go in there anymore. And then, then it became a there was it was an overpopulation issue in in the jail so they they, they couldn't they realized that they, they could no longer afford to have this have this whole compound set aside for the occasional vipassana when when everywhere else is bursting at the seams so they, they they opened back up to normal prison again so over the next probably three four weeks my my, my garden was completely dismantled mm. and um which was also like i i was a bit like well you know if, if i'd I was a bit kind of. Um, uh, oh, there's a word for it. There's um, e- uh, e- economist. There's a there's a the word a word used in the past called economist, which is meaning meaning. Oh, is that so? Is um, oh, today is hot? Today is cold? It doesn't matter. It's, it's not affecting me. I've, I've I've lost my garden. I've gained my garden. It's, it's actually I'm just economist. Things come. Things get. Things go. And um, so that was. Um, that was an interesting thing because while it certainly given me given me huge purpose, it was also gave me huge satisfaction. And um, and then I could also let that go as well. I mean, because in in jail, it's like in, anything that you that you that you get attached to will actually at some point in some microcosm of life, anything you get attached to will be taken away from you. I mean, probably in jail, that's going to happen and happen more more consistently than it does outside. When, when you when you haven't got any any power of your life and when you you, you haven't just basically let go you haven't been let go of your own agenda a lot you know it's like the oh but I wanted to do this it's like well it's not happening get over it mm-hmm. you know, so, so that was um that was also you know it's another big lesson probably as big a lesson as the as as as, as you know being free of it you know it's like realizing oh god
0: actually I, this is this is
1: This is very shifting sands to to build my build my palace on, (laughs) you know. If you like, yeah. Honestly, that's
0: um, that was a that's a big learning right there, and that really kind of just sat with me for a moment Um, because i I don't think I think about this enough, and maybe other people don't either. Is we, you said it. We get attached whenever we get whenever we get attached to. At some point, that is going to leave. Yeah. So what you're saying is. By just enjoying it that day. Like when you woke up and you actually got to you to to go and contribute to this garden, it was just about that day. And afterwards, you're no longer attached to that feeling that it gave you because it's no longer in the presence. So if it's taken away, you're basically allowing yourself to not get attached to now that negative emotion that is this pot that is this happy memory being taken away from you. Is that is that kind of what I'm hearing here, Mark?
1: Um, a bit like that, I mean, okay. there's also, I mean, I think, think there's this whole attachment thing, um, um, I think there's, I mean, I certainly, I kind of avoided, like kind of, most of my life I've been single or I've been in sort of, um, sort of, I'm a serial monogamous, so I'll have a, have a relationship, like, uh, um, get married or have, have sort of a two or three year relationship, but, but most of my life probably I've been single, and part of that was um, also about, about being, being afraid of forming an attachment, you know, where there's, where there's, um, where you're knowing or like uh, having, having um, si- sitting, listening to a master talking about that attachment, you, you, know, you have to let go, you have to let go of all this. And and, and in a sense, my, my kind of fear of, fear of letting go of attachment sort of meant that I didn't, there was a lot of attachments, particularly on a, on a relational level, like kind of in terms of, terms of women in my life, um, where I'd, I'd be afraid of making a a connection because I'd, I was, I didn't want to lose the, I was, I knew I'd get attached. I knew, knew that was going to break. So, So like having to, having to, um, um, in a sense i I guess like risk risking heartbreak you know it's like which is which is you know oh guess what we all have to risk when we when we when we open a heart to someone so that that was um so that's sort of in that in the same same field in a sense the um with the being being at, attached to an outcome and um yeah, I'm I'm actually I'm a little bit confused right now. <laughs> no,
0: no, no. That's all good. So, um No, I appreciate that. Now, I do remember I think from the story too, uh where you're at you had a friend that actually uh took his life when you were in jail. Is that is that true as well?
1: Um, yeah. So Yeah, I mean, I'm,
0: yeah, okay. No, I just say so there's almost an element there as well is it sounded like this, this, this guy became a friend of yours. Um, so how did you with what you were just talking about this kind of way of being, um, was that pre or post that gentleman's death? Because I feel like him being a friend and you losing that attachment that you sounded like kind of had was healthy for you to have somebody in your life. Um, how did that all how did you handle that type of uh despair in such a unconventional way in being in jail and in in a, in a not a healthy environment like that
1: um well that was that was sort of a bit dramatized in in, in the t v show um so he was he was very much a fringe character to me um okay. like he he, he was he wasn't a essential character at all in in my my experience there i mean that said that I mean, I, I liked him, and I used to play chess with him a bit. Um, but there were, there were quite a few other people that I'd have have um, have, have a much much stronger, much better connection with. Um, you also, the nature of jail also meant meant that it was it was like you would you would make make connections. I mean, I've I made um I made probably well, since I've been out, I've seen. Seen or spoken to maybe ten people that I was in jail with, but there's a some some very people that I made very close friendships with who I actually why well, I've never seen again, and um and that's it's also like um, um you know there's an attachment there with whether whether they I mean I not think they're dead, but you know and like I still haven't seen them again, um you know it was but it was definitely a shock for for everyone in in prison when when he did kill himself was. Because it was, was we, everyone knew that it wasn't that far off for, for any of us, you know, to go. Okay, this is enough now, you know. You you'd go and you hit you hit walls all the time. You'd go, oh, this is enough. I can't deal with this anymore. It's already it's enough. Stop, you know. But then you know the universe has different ideas, and then it's not enough. There's there's more that comes, and and you, it's a bit like you're just sort of getting stretched. I mean, to use a, an example that pops into my head is about a a woman in labour. You know, you kind of. You go okay. That's enough. Okay, I've pushed hard enough now. That's enough. No, no, you got to push more. You got to push right, more. You right, got to go right. deeper. You got to get stronger and stronger. And you have to you have to go further into the fire. You, you can't get out of this fire. You've got to go deeper and deeper.
0: So, so and, really um, this this moment was just a very terrible way to remind yourself that you need to keep yourself healthy, or else you could be you could go down that rabbit hole of, of depression or despair, whatever he is, he was going through is, it was your yeah. reminder saying you're, you're not that far off if you don't keep yourself in check.
1: Well basically, yeah. I mean, he had, he had a brown of habit. He was, um, he was, he was quite a junkie and, and, <clears throat> and, um and, and, he'd because he actually hadn't really developed any friendships while he was there. Was, um, He'd been very, very isolated. I mean, for the first first few weeks, he 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 thought that um he thought he was Shiva and that um that he was going to be he was going to be reborn in a in a sort of some sort of ball of light and he would be able to smash down the walls of the prison and walk out. You know that that was what what he was um he was saying was going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that sort of I mean, he was completely delusional, and um you know I mean this is a guy who who He'd gone to a festival. He had a wife and two kids in Germany. He'd gone gone to a music festival. He'd come across some hash, Norse Charis. He'd he he bought 300 grams of of Charis from India, from Germany to India. He'd actually bought it with him um, to try and try to find some more. You know, because he, he he liked it so much, but that was his supply. So he he was um so he was um busted rolling a joint, um, sitting next to the railway tracks in, in Puna. and the railway police got him and said, Oh, you go, you go. We, we take your hash. You, you go. And he goes, no, I want to keep it. And so that ring up the the other police and they arrested him and same, same deal. They're saying they, they knew it was a cake. um, you, 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 you leave, you leave your hash and your money here and you go. And then he goes, no, 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 I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave. So anyway, he just, um, he was way out of his depth and, um, and you know as we all were it's like kind of at least you know you know quite a few of us had a bit more india experience and and had lived in india so we, we understood where we were and you all know right. that there while, while the the rules are a bit gray there, there are rules
0: yeah yeah uh-huh. so um so Okay, appreciate uh, appreciate kind of the uh, the context and insight to uh your guys' relationship or or how you were connected there. Um yeah. So then you get out, right? So what what's changed or what happened post getting out of jail, going back home? Like what is your biggest if you could like just give your biggest learning or learnings from this whole experience like what how could you, how could you describe that for us
1: um um i would say sort of the um one of the biggest things is about the forming connections or feeling connections the um with friends um, I mean when I came out uh, was in 98 I got out so in, in 2001 um, um, well first of all first of all actually what I got into in jail a lot was writing I would I was mentioned before I had a huge huge lot of correspondence a huge number of people I was corresponding with and um, plus also I was writing a diary so, so often each day I'd be writing you know, 10,000, words, you know, like pretty much every day for a while. And, um, so then I came, came out and I moved in with the friends and, um, then I started writing for, for the magazine that he was, he was producing. And, um, uh, then I ended up buying that magazine and, and, and started another two. And, um, we actually thought like, okay, I've got something to say. I've actually, I've got something that I can, um, um, that's that's important to me that that i, I want i want to I want to shout from the rooftops if you like and I, I want to i want to be be a part of my community in a way that i hadn't been before i wanted to, i wanted to be the grown-up version of me mm-hmm. um the one that that's sort of that was that was here i am this this is what i stand for sort of thing this is this is where where i where where i am you know the um um i don't know how to say that okay well okay let's just, just say i'm just being present just being being more present in my life here i mean having that um having that um that thing about being busted that i mentioned before is the um the um having that you know that i don't need to do that anymore i, I don't don't need to get caught i don't need to I, I can ground my, can ground myself with, without without that sort of stuff. And of course, you know, this is twenty twenty years down twenty years past and so different lessons are, you know, they, they get absorbed, and different lessons keep on coming back again, you know, like the um, particularly sort of stuff around um, around um the commitments, you know, it's like the um uh, about actually what is important to me. Um um, yeah, it's true, really, I guess growing up, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I came out, came out of there when I was 38 and so there was a sort of four year gap in my, in my life at that point. Um, um, where, you know, i sort of wanted to come out and uh, had a, not a long relationship where I got married and, and I'd, we were, we had intended having kids, but she had a miscarriage after, mm, after, yeah. Or four or five years. So so then that was sort of the, the end of end of the relationship pretty much. Um, and um, and then it's um but, you know that's also you know, that's, that's what's happening in my life sort of thing. You know, it's not necessarily that that's you know, that it was that it was wrong that it happened.
0: Um, you well know, I, think it's, still, I think it's part of, of part of your story, right? It's I don't wanna say it's defined you, but it's certainly uh, it is part of you. And what I'm hearing here is, you're 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 present and you're okay to have your voice heard now, right? And that's that's yeah. and that's, that's where it sounded like there was a bit of a gap prior was, not wanting your voice heard in certain situations. Um, so, what do you? I know now you got your book and your book uh, documents uh, your story here. So, what do you want your readers? with your book to take away from your story?
1: Um, um compassion. Okay. You know, like, um, that nothing's, nothing's black and white, you know, like kind of, okay, here's some, I mean, you could look at my book and say, yeah, here's, here's a guy who's a drug smuggler and okay, does he have anything to say and actually, you know, because I mean, our kind of culture is really about oh, a drug dealer, you know, drug smuggler, they're really bad, you know, mind you, at the same time, if someone owns like a brewery or a, whiskey factory then then actually they're, they're really famous um and it's the um i met a lot of i mean in the book there's a lot of stories about the about indians and and just the the impermanence of their lives and the and the tragedies that they have to live with you know that that in the west we're we're just sort of scratching the surface of you know most of us is, you know we're we're are you know we have enough food to eat, we have a house to live in, we have you know a fairly comfortable life um and um and you know but there's a lot of people that don't and and it doesn't really define them you know it's like what I was impressed with people in India was like i was, I'd just be shocked okay, how does this person go on? How do they go on you know and then then you hear of you know women's stories, you know, for example, you know, the this sexual slavery stuff about ISIS and things like that. And you go, How do people where do they find those reserves to, to go on? You know, where where where's where their cracking? How come they don't crack? You know, and, and in a in a way it's like the the West kind of the West is West will crack, whereas the the East East tends not to crack, you know, they they just go through it, they they experience it, they um that maybe their, their life expect expectations are a bit different. They're not, not so big, but the 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 courage, the enormous courage that people have to live their life and to and to grow and to and to face face up to the next day. And and for for most of the most of the world, that you know, it's it's really really a thing. The next day is like full of horrors, full of terrors and horrors that that you know. You know and um, that people privileged like you and I have got no idea about no, no comprehension. You know, there's that thing of what you know what people call, you know, first world pain or first world discomforts. And, and it's like, well, first world problems. And it's like, well, that most of the third world, most of Asia would be thrilled to have those problems. Right. Like give me those problems. I'll take those much any day, you know? Yeah.
0: So true. Uh, well, Mark, I've, Man, I really appreciate you talking about your story today. Um, thank you. It's, it's been just it's been very eye opening, and I think I've taken a lot of learnings from from what you've gone through. Uh, I really wanted to to sit here and have a have a lot of empathy for for where you've been. I tried to really put myself into uh, your story here and, and get a good sense of what you've been through, and I think you've done a an excellent job of. Um, being vulnerable and telling your story. So, uh, with your book though, obviously it tells the story. Maybe you can tell us a little bit where people can find your book. How can they get your book, uh, so that we can help get this, uh, this story in the hands of, uh, people around the world here.
1: Okay. Well, currently it's it's just available as an ebook through Amazon. So if you go to Amazon, look for, look for busted in, in India. There's also a Facebook page called Busted in in India, and there's some excerpts there. And there's, if you want to contact me, you can leave a message. Um, I'll I'll see that. Um, And yeah, you know, I'm sort of, I I wonder when I'll actually stop stop thinking about rewriting it. (laughs) I was like, oh, I missed that angle, or I missed that angle, I missed this or that. Um, But as it is, it's 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 available as an ebook on Amazon.
0: Awesome. Well, what I'll do is with the episode here, we will put the link out for everybody to see and uh, hopefully um, your stories inspire okay. them to, uh, to learn more and uh, getting your ebook from you.
1: Okay, cool. So, so I, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll email you the, the link to the Amazon page.
0: Perfect. That sounds good, Mark. Cool. And I'll post it out there. Okay. So Mark, it's uh I appreciate the time you gave me today. We gave a lot of time, um, and I just want to thank you for that. And, uh, again, very much appreciate you uh, sharing your story here today.
1: Oh, great, Tom. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I, I like I talking and sharing my story.
0: Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much, Mark, and I'll, I'll send you out the link when it's done there.
1: Okay, cool. Awesome. Okay.
0: Thank great. you so much, Mark. Is
2: Bye. Bye now.